the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy tells us how the world will end. He came the first time and he allowed himself to be judged by man. He'll come the second time and he'll judge man. My friend, we're living in the interval between the first coming and the second coming. He veiled his glory, but the second time it will be unveiled and it will be a fearful sight. Be ready. In earlier messages on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy presented the setting and signs of the tribulation. Now, today, he's putting the focus on the second coming of Jesus Christ when God puts an end to human history. We're continuing in Mark chapter 13 as Jesus explains what will happen after the rapture of the church and tribulation. It's a bracing reminder that when Jesus returns to the earth, he won't be as a child in a manger or a suffering savior. As we study Mark chapter 13 in our study of Mark's gospel, we're going to see that this chapter stands out like a sore thumb. I say that because when you compare Mark 13 with the rest of the gospel, it's rather striking, and it stands out like a sore thumb, because this is a long sermon directed to a particular issue, and it was given in one single day. And you know in our study of Mark's gospel, this is a fast-paced, action-packed gospel. It's shorter than Matthew, Luke, and John. It's a condensed version of the life and times of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's dramatic. It moves along at a clip and at a pace. And yet here we come to Mark 13 in a gospel that's fast-paced, action-packed, and all of a sudden we have a very long discourse given by Jesus on a particular day focused on one subject. So it's kind of stand out. It's in a category by itself. It sticks out like a sore thumb. And the subject is prophecy. And the Lord Jesus here gives us a detailed outline of events leading up to his return in power and glory, which would remind you, and I think Mark is making this point, that to Jesus, the second coming was a crucial subject. So much so that Mark, in his fast-paced gospel, stops and gives us an extended version of what Jesus taught. In fact, Matthew will give us much, much more, but it's interesting in Mark's gospel that we've got this kind of long, detailed exposition. Now, here's something to write down. In Mark's gospel, Jesus gives his longest answer to a question on prophecy, because this was an important subject for him. And I find in my theological discussions with pastors today, it's not really an important subject. 
Pastors don't seem to be as interested and as engaged on the issues of prophecy. Many of them declare themselves to be pan-millennialists. They're not amillennialists. They're not premillennialists. They're not postmillennialists. They're simply pan-millennialists. It'll all work out in its own good time. It'll all pan out. And there's this kind of disregard for getting into detail about prophecy. I think that's sad, given that Jesus' longest answer is to a prophetic question. And Christians in general, young Christians and young people in particular in this generation, don't seem to be as interested in the prophetic scriptures as a former generation. And I think, again, that's sad. I'm not encouraging a Christianity that has our heads stuck in the clouds. We need to be concerned about what's happening in inner cities and be concerned about social justice and politics and life and the hurting and the disadvantaged. I get all of that, but that should never come to the exclusion of an interest in prophecy, end times, and the life to come. In fact, it's the end times that should bring about a new beginning of evangelism and love and endeavor and service on our behalf any given day of the week. In fact, it was C.S. Lewis who said, those who did much in this world were those who thought much about the next world. So it's just interesting that Jesus gives his longest answer to a question on prophecy, underscoring the importance of prophecy in Jesus' mind. It seems to me, if I love Jesus and claim to be a follower of Jesus and a disciple of the Master, prophecy is a subject that should interest me. So let's come back to Mark 13. And if you were with me last time, and we're not going to reheat this dinner, we covered the setting and we covered the signs. We covered the setting and we covered the signs, verses 1 through 4, and then verses 5 through 23. I want to pick up at verse 24 and what I call the second coming. This is the third thought, the second coming. Because following this grave time of great tribulation, Jesus will return. Jesus wants us to know that his ascension into heaven was not the finale. It was a prelude to the finale. There is a second act. Remember what the angel said to the disciples? This same Jesus, who you saw being received into heaven, will someday return from heaven in a similar manner. There's going to be a second act. Jesus is going to come back again. There are three parts to your Bible, right? The Old Testament he is coming. The New Testament in the Gospels, he has come. The book of Acts, the epistles, and the Revelation, he is coming again. That's your Bible in three great parts. He is coming, he has come, but he's coming again. A second act. There's going to be a finale, and Jesus tells us about it here in verse 24. After that time of great tribulation, when at the beginning of that time, you'll have the birth pangs, you'll have those signs that will be repeated and become more and more as the delivery of a new age comes about. Wars, rumors of wars, persecution, deception, false Christs. Then you have the beginning signs that will mushroom into the big sign where you have the abomination of desolation. You have the appearance of Antichrist who will declare himself to be God in a rebuilt temple. And that's what Jesus says, after these days just described, that time of tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they shall see the Son of Man coming in power and glory. Amen. We agree with John, even so come Lord Jesus. This is 
the second coming, when human history ends at Jesus' feet. Think about that. Human history will end at Jesus' feet. That's why you should begin every day of your own personal history at Jesus' feet, because it's all going to end under his lordship. So you better be living under his lordship and following his ways and his commands. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. We've covered this in other sermons, and I want to get to the practical application of this message, which I believe is always important to the Lord Jesus. But let me note for you several things that will accompany his second coming, the marks of his second coming. And remember, we would make an argument here at Kindred, this is in distinction from the rapture. We believe in a pre-tribulational coming of Christ for his church. It's described in John 14. It's described in 1 Thessalonians 4. When we will be snatched away, caught away to meet Christ in the clouds and to be with him forever. Go to the Father's house, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the judgment seat of Christ. That's a movement from earth to heaven and it's regards to the church. The second coming is a movement from heaven to earth as it regards Israel and the nations. The first time he comes for us, the second time we come with him him and the armies of heaven, Revelation 19. So that said, here's the marks of the second coming. When we will have been glorified, the judgment seat will have taken place, the marriage supper of the Lamb will be a red and white, will be coming back with Jesus Christ. Here's how he describes it. It's going to be catastrophic. Jesus tells us here of events in the heavens, and I'm not sure what to do with all of that. Certainly, these are signs and symbols that kind of mark the day of the Lord, the judgment of God. Read about them in Joel and in Second Thessalonians. But there'll be a shaking of the heavens. There'll be some kind of lights and fireworks display among the planets and the stars. It'll almost seem like the firmament is being torn. Now, it won't fall apart. But there'll be a shaking of the heavens, which is kind of an announcement that the curtain's about to be lifted and Jesus is about to come back. So it's going to be kind of catastrophic. You kind of get a sense of that, don't you, in the book of Revelation. Secondly, it's going to be sudden. For this, we go to Matthew 24, 27, where Jesus tells us that his coming will be as swift as lightning from the east that strikes in the west. Like a bolt of lightning, Jesus is going to come not going to be in stages. It's not going to be in parts. After these days, after the tribulation, you'll see suddenly, catastrophically, Jesus Christ appear. That's going to be a marvelous moment, by the way. The last time the world looked at him, he looked nothing like a king hanging on a cross. In fact, Paul said, if they had known, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. There was no beauty that they would desire him. But when he comes again, the Bible says in Revelation 1-7, those that pierced him will mourn and all the earth will cry. Because he's coming back catastrophically, suddenly, visibly. Every eye will see him. They'll see the Son of Man. He's coming back gloriously in power and in glory. We read in verse 26, he's coming back to liberate his people. It will be catastrophic, sudden, visible, glorious, liberating. Because he'll send his angels to gather together his elect, that's his people who are alive at the point of his return, who have survived the great tribulation, who have not taken the mark of the beast, and have certainly escaped martyrdom, although many won't. And from the tip of the earth to the tip of heaven, the angels will gather God's people. And at that point, it will be deliverance, liberation, freedom from persecution, the world, the flesh, and the devil. That'll be a wonderful liberating moment. And I think with that, the coming will not only be glorious, liberating, but wrathful. 
if there's a gathering of the saints alive at that time, according to Jesus here, consequently, subsequently, there's going to be a scattering of the unbeliever. I think Matthew hints at this, doesn't he? Or certainly Jesus in Matthew's account. When you go to Matthew 24, verse 28, Jesus is speaking. Matthew records it. Mark doesn't. And he tells us this, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. So we're in the same passage, same thought. The sign of the Son of Man will appear. But look at verse 28. For wherever the carcass is, there the angels will be gathered together. Now, it could be just that they're going to see the second coming. Because if you see eagles gathering over a carcass at a distance, you know, there's a dead body there. There's a dead thing there because I can see the eagles kind of circling up above. And it may be saying, hey, just as you see the lightning from the east, you're going to see eagles gathering. As you see eagles gathering, so you'll see the Son of Man. But more than likely, it's a picture of judgment. In fact, you go to Revelation chapter 19, verse 21. Let me go there for you to save you a bit of time, but write it down. Here's what we read in Revelation 19, verse 21. As it regards the battle of Armageddon, the unfolding of God's judgment at the end, and we read in verse 21, And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of Jesus Christ, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. That's a picture, again, of devastation. In fact, go to verse 17 of Revelation 19. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to the birds that fly in the midst of the heavens, come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and captains and mighty men, horses and those that sat on them, and all the flesh of people, free and slave, great and small. What a horrific picture that while Jesus gathers the elect, the judgment of God is visited on the unbelieving world that has stood up against them. And the eagles will gather above to take of this great supper as people have been swallowed up in God's wrath. So that's the second coming. And as we move on, let's not miss the point, the striking contrast between the first coming and the second coming. And I want to say to you, if you're not saved, thank God you're living between the interval and you've got time to get saved you got time to get to the cross before it's too late. Because you see, the cross is scorched ground. The wrath of God fell upon Jesus Christ in AD 33, just outside the city of Jerusalem, in a place called the skull, known as Golgotha. And there he became sin, he who knew no sin, that we might become righteous in him. He, the just, became unjust, and the wrath of God was poured out on him. And in a sense, that scorched ground. The wrath of God fell on Jesus on Calvary. Now, if you know anything about scorched ground, fire can't take hold on scorched ground. That's why our brave firefighters were in the midst of a hot summer in California. They start backfires. They start fires in the back of and in the front of the fire so that when the fire comes to an area that they have burned deliberately, it can't go any further because there's no vegetation, no trees, no dry bushes for it to grab hold of. That's all been burned. And that's the picture of Calvary. You want to be safe on Judgment Day? You better be standing on Calvary, the scorched ground where God's wrath fell on God's Son. You need to get saved, my friend. You need to put your trust in Jesus Christ. And He came the first time to save you. You know, Jesus Christ said, I'm come not to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. He didn't come to rub it in. He came to rub it out. That's what old Vance Havner used to say. 
And it's my job and this church's job and your father's job and your mother's job to tell you that message. Don't be harsh to them. Don't criticize us for loving you enough to tell you to flee from the wrath of God, the wrath to come. Because when he comes a second time, he won't be so nice. He came the first time and he allowed himself to be judged by man. He'll come the second time and he'll judge man. Pilate will be judged by Christ in the second coming. Him the first time, and they crowned him with thorns. He's coming the second time. He'll be crowned with honor and with glory. He came the first time, and he said, Come, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come to the waters of life. If you don't come, he'll come the second time and say, Depart from me. I never knew you. I gave you a chance. I waited. I was long-suffering. I appealed through the conviction of my spirit and showed you me through my people. And you said, No. When he came the first time, he submitted to the rule of human government. The second time, all the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and Savior. My friend, we're living in the interval between the first coming and the second coming. He veiled his glory, but the second time it will be unveiled, and it will be a fearful sight. Be ready. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. That's what brought me to Jesus Christ, that verse. I hope it moves you towards the cross and the eternal salvation. That's the setting. That's the signs. That's the second coming. Well, we've got to keep moving. The summons. The summons. This is verses 28 through the end of the chapter. Because Jesus here moves from details to duties. He's outlined all the details that will describe the events of the last days. But now he moves to duties. He moves to the things that the last days generation should do. Remember, we made an argument that verse 30, this generation will not pass away, is not Israel. It's a description of the generation that will be alive to see all of this. That will certainly include many in unbelieving Israel, but it will include the Gentile, where Jesus is simply saying, there's going to be a generation who will see the beginning of the signs. They'll see the big sign. They'll be alive after these days to see me coming in power and glory. And you know what? If you're believing during that time, if you're part of the elect, if you're one of my followers, then I've got several things to tell you about how you ought to live. Remember what we said? This passage has no direct relevance to the church. The church isn't being addressed. The rapture is not in view. This is directed to the generation that will live to see it. It's not directed to the crowd at AD 70. It's speaking to his disciples then. But often in prophetic scripture, the immediate generation is being addressed, but actually a later generation is in mind. So Jesus summons those who will be alive during the last days to certain action. When I was at the Master's Seminary, Dr. George Zimmick used to say that biblical eschatology is an ethical eschatology. Jesus always preached ethical eschatology. You say, hold on a minute, Pastor. What do you mean eschatology? Big word. Big word. It simply means the doctrine of the second coming, the doctrine of the last days. And George Zimmick said that Jesus always taught it ethically. There was always a moral application. There was always a moral imperative that came with it. In fact, one commentator says of these last verses in Mark 13 that what we have here is a depiction of the future flanked by moral exhortation. I like that. Of course it's flanked 
by moral exhortation because that's how you and I are to live out our doctrine of the second coming. We're not given all the details of the future to satisfy our curiosity or to tickle our fancy. It's to light a fire under us to live a certain way before we don't have an opportunity again to live a certain way, to be found ready at Jesus' return. In fact, if you study the sermon given on the Mount of Olives, known as the Olivet Discourse, there are 19 imperatives in this sermon, 19 calls to action. A love for the second coming, a desire to live in the light of it, always leads to action, not inaction. Obedience, not passivity. I've always liked Warren Wearsby. I've read almost all that he's written and have all of his books in my library. I remember reading somewhere that he said once, as it relates to the second coming, that early in his life, he was part of what he called the organizing committee. You know, he spent a lot of time trying to work out prophetic truth and put all the details on a calendar and know all about the its and bits of doctrine regarding the future. And he was part of the organizing committee. He was kind of trying to all work it out. And then after a while, later on in life, he said, you know what? I realized that's not the emphasis of the New Testament. It's about obedience. It's about living for Jesus Christ in the light of his soon return. So here's what he said, and I'm passing it on to you. Write it down and think about it. He said, there came a day when I left, I resigned from the organizing committee and joined the welcoming committee. Now he's speaking metaphorically, right? He just said, there came a day where I realized, hey, I need to know prophetic truth. And he tried to understand it. Do you know what? Most of all, I got to live in the light of it and be ready to welcome him and be found ready. And some of us need to get off the organizing committee and get onto the welcoming committee. And Jesus is going to help us do this. Now, you might say to me, and rightly so, Pastor, I thought you said that the church is not addressed in Mark 13. Well, certainly not directly. You're right. This is addressed to the generation that will be alive when Jesus comes back. Its focus is on the Jewish people because you've got words like synagogue, you've got the temple mentioned, you've got the Sabbath, you've got Judea mentioned. It's in the future. It's the end-time generation. So while it has no direct application to us, it has an indirect application. Jesus will say about the last day's generation and what they need to be doing. And if that's true about the second coming, would it not also be true about the way you and I ought to live prior to the rapture? To this generation who will be alive to see it all, Jesus said, look, you don't know the hour and you don't know the day that I'm coming back, verse 32. Only my Father knows that. So you better be ready. You better be prepared. You better be alert. You better be watchful. The second coming requires alertness. That's the message called Future Events from Philip DeCourcy here on Know the Truth. Listen to all the messages in this series online at ktt.org. The good news today is that God is extending to us the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Our Savior came not to condemn the world, but to save it. And with the help of listeners like you, that's a message we share every day here on Know the Truth. And we've recently responded to a call to expand on several more stations to make a bigger impact for the gospel. So your support is crucial even more than ever. Give today and send the hope and truth of God's Word across town and around the world reaching people who need to hear and believe before it's too late. Call in your generous donation to 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. And you can also give by check and mail it to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. 
The Bible tells us that God is love. Love stepped into human history on Christmas Day, and love walked the way of the cross. That's what you'll discover in the ESV New Testament Daily Devotional. Let each reading draw you closer to God's love. Ask for the ESV Daily Devotional when you support Know the Truth with a financial gift. We'll send it off today so you'll have it handy for the new year. Again, call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. And if you're a new listener, we'd like to send you a free CD message from Philip titled, A New Look at Christmas. There's no cost or obligation. Just request this free CD when you call 888-644-8811. See Jesus' birth in a new light and then pass the CD on to a friend. I'm Wayne Shepherd, wishing you a wonderful weekend. There's more we'll learn about the second coming next week on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. IWAVA's Chris Roth, and recently one of our staff members here at WAVA used 50 Floor and could not stop talking about the positive experience they had with their new flooring installation. First, the process is simple and easy. They bring the showroom to you while offering a wide variety of flooring options. No reason to drive all over town. Also, on the day of installation, you don't have to lift a finger. They move your furniture, take up and haul away your old floors, install the new floors, clean up, and then they're out of there. Now, until the end of December, you're going to save big and receive 60% off all carpet, hardwood, laminate, tile, and vinyl. Sale ends when the holidays are over. Plus, if you use the promo code WAVA, you'll receive an extra $100 off. 50 Floor also offers interest-free financing until 2019 if your purchase is paid in full. Call 877-50-FLOOR or go to 50floor.com. Schedule your free in-home estimate. Celebrate the holidays with new floors. Remember to use the promo code WAVA to receive an additional $100 off. Call today, 877-50-FLOOR or 50floor.com. Call 877-50-FLOOR. Pick up the phone. We'll be knocking at your door. Details and licensure at 50floor.com. At WAV. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.